beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Thank you, Alice. All right, can we bow our heads and pray and ask for God's help? Let's pray. God, we pray that you would bring to us uh, life. It's what we're praying for. It's what we need. So we pray that your words here in this story would come alive in our hearts and through our hearts and lives in our neighborhood as well. We need you, God. And we need your help that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our lives to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been exploring over the past couple of weeks the meaning of Christmas, you might say, uh, looking at this single passage, 18 verses from the first chapter of the book of John, this introduction to the life of Jesus as he came to us. And we're picking up on a couple of themes, looking at it intensely over time, and we'll be wrapping up next week. We've been looking at the theme of Christmas wonder. Christmas wonder. And we're told that Christmas is all about this story that the eternal word, God himself, who knew no beginning, who has no end, who made all things, who's dependent upon nothing and no one, this God squeezed himself into the body of a little baby, became flesh, we're told in verse 14, entered this world as a frail and helpless human being, which tells us, as we talked about two weeks ago, that one of the holiest ways that you can respond to this story this Christmas is simply by saying, wow. To experience Christmas wonder. We talked about Christmas light last week. Christmas light. That the Word became flesh, that God became a human being to come to bring us light. Jesus is light 
shining in darkness, helping us to see, which tells us, dear friends, if darkness, if that word darkness well describes what you are going through right now, then that means that Christmas is for you. Christmas does not disqualify you. Christmas is for you because Jesus came for you because He came as light that shined and shines in the darkness. And so today we come to this great theme of Christmas life. The Word made flesh, God become man. Jesus came to bring us Life, the source of new life. We're going to look at this quickly, this theme, and see how this passage, or at least the middle couple of verses, unpack this. We're going to focus on verses 11, 12, 13. Three things about spiritual life. First of all, that we don't have it. No, not naturally. But secondly, that we can get it. And thirdly, how do we get it? Talking about spiritual life here, a gift that Jesus, that God in flesh brings us, spiritual life. First, we don't got it, secondly, but we can get it, and thirdly, how we can. So the first point that we see, apart from Jesus, friends, we all are spiritually dead. That naturally left to ourselves, that apart from the life-giving power of God, that every human being starts off being what the Bible describes and what John implies here as he talks about life, implies here as being spiritually dead. In fact, later in the book of John in chapter 5, Jesus himself says exactly the same thing. He says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has crossed over from, what? Death to life. And this idea is repeated throughout the New Testament again and again, like in Ephesians 2, where Christians are reminded, you, dear friends, were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's a graphic word. It's a vivid word. Consider it spiritually dead. What does that mean? It means that we are unresponsive. We are as unresponsive spiritually to God as a dead body might be unresponsive to physical stimuli. That we don't respond to God as we ought to. That we don't open our eyes as we should to see Him and to know Him. That we don't open our mouths to talk and to converse. We don't open our lives and our hearts in relationship with the God who made us. In fact, verses 10 and 11 make this very point of how much we have closed ourselves off from God in instinctual rejection of Him. He was in the world we're told, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And here his own people probably refers specifically to the Jewish nation as Jesus himself was a Jewish man, but without a doubt it describes more broadly all people everywhere, all of whom were, who were made by God, 
John tells us, though, though made by him, when he came, when God showed up, knocked on the door, offered himself in love and life, we didn't even recognize him. Didn't know he had come. And though we belong to him, by being made by him, by being in family with him, when he came, we didn't welcome him. Some of us going home in the next couple of weeks to visit family, different reunions. Some of you are looking forward to it. Some of you are not. But imagine stepping into the place that you call home and the people that you call your own. And you look up and they blink at you with eyes of a stranger. And they say, who are you? Get out of the house. I don't know you unresponsive as a dead body, and helpless as a dead body. Spiritually dead, meaning powerless to give life to ourselves, to save ourselves. Now, when was the last time that you saw a dead body putting a Band-Aid on a wound? When was the last time you saw a, a dead body feeding himself or herself medicine or raising himself to life? It's an impossibility. Herein lies the meaning here. Powerless to give life to ourselves. Powerless to make myself love God. Powerless to stop myself from being self-centered. Have you tried? If you do dare to, you'll start to feel a little bit of that deadness within you. Listen, friends, I know this sounds like bad news, and it is bad news. It's not a, an uplifting story. Maybe this isn't what you came here to hear today, this Christmas time of year. But listen, dear friends, can you understand that this actually is good news if you understand it rightly? To know the heart of the problem and to know, maybe for the first time, how bad it really is. You see, because if you think you're just a little sick then you might think that all you really need to make yourself well is to pop yourself a few spiritual pills. Or if you think you're just making a few mistakes in life, then you're just going to look for ways to make some minor corrections to get yourself back on track. But if you know that the problem, your problem, my problem, is that you are dead, then you're going to start looking for someone that can give you life. And that makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Because you're looking for something different. You're looking for someone different and looking for them to do something different to you, indeed, for you. Because you can't give life to yourself if you're dead. And for those of you that believe that you're connected to the life of God through Jesus, isn't it the truth that we still have some deadness remaining in us? Still those parts of our hearts that are unresponsive to the reality and the grace and the truth of God. Dear friends, not only what areas of your life do you feel yourself being numb and lifeless towards God about? But what parts of your life are you intentionally deadening that you might not have the life-giving power of God intruding in on parts of your life?
Maybe it's a certain relationship. Maybe it's a certain part of your life that you feel like this just has to succeed and I can't let God get in the way. Maybe it's a certain character trait or flaw or virtue or vice. Something that you know God wants to give life to. But for some reason, how often is it that we get used to deadness? And sometimes we get used to acting as if we are barely alive. Is that you, dear Christian? If you have life, are you living life? Apart from Jesus, number one, we are all spiritually dead. But secondly, here's the great Christmas promise. Jesus gives us life. Jesus gives us life. New life. A new spiritual birth. Notice what verses 12 and 13 say here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Jesus gives life, spiritual life, not just physical life. Life. John's talking about becoming a ch- children of God who are born or reborn of God. A life that's given from God. Later on in chapter 3 of the same book, Jesus would be in conversation with a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. Who would come and ask him questions about these things that he'd overheard Jesus teaching. And Jesus would turn to Nicodemus and tell him, Nicodemus, you must be born Again, that phrase that many of you may have heard and maybe have had no idea what it means. Maybe you thought it meant voting in a certain sort of way politically. Maybe it means having a really super deep commitment to God and something special. The way Jesus is putting it is that it's not a separate category of spirituality or Christianity. All people who are in relationship with God through Jesus are alive, born again. And he's using this rich metaphor that can be hard to get. Nicodemus didn't get it the first time Jesus said it. Nicodemus said, hold on a second. No idea what you're talking about. How can a man be reborn? How can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? Jesus says, you ain't getting it. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. A spiritual coming alive to God. This was a promise that was made for centuries and centuries and centuries through the prophets from the beginning of God's relationship with humanity. We hear it in Ezekiel 36 when the prophet says to Israel, look, you're broken goods, but one day I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit and put it in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that actually beats, a heart that pumps spiritual blood, a heart that gives life. I'll do that for you. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, well quoted from the same passage earlier, he continues, he says, yes, you are dead. But then he says, but God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This promise of life. And again, in the book of John, speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus would say, I have come that they, that you may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly, have it excessively, overflowingly, dear friends, because God made you to be fully alive. And we get so used to living on life support that we don't even know the life that is held out in front of us. Jesus offers to you life, a new kind of responsiveness to God who's most clearly seen in Jesus so that when you come to life, you start to say, my spiritual eyes were dead, I was blind, but now I see the beauty and the power and the majesty of God in Jesus where you see my, you say my spiritual ears were dead. I was deaf spiritually, but now I can hear the sweet music of the gospel. My spiritual mouth was closed. I was mute, but now I can't stop saying thank you to God because of all that he's become to me. I can't stop singing his praises. My spiritual heart was dead and hard, but Jesus has given me a heart transplant And now I'm alive. Responsive to God. Responsive to the world where you start to realize this whole life I've been living in black and white and now everything looks in color to me. Where people come alive to you because you're alive. Where loving someone doesn't become a burden, it's actually a joy. Because you know in doing so, you're going against your most true human nature to be self-centered. This is what the Bible calls our addiction of sin and the joy of seeing, oh my goodness, I'm actually loving someone, serving someone, sacrificing for someone, putting someone else ahead of myself. And you rejoice because you know it means the life of God must truly be in you. Dear friends, this is the Christmas story. Jesus was born to give us new birth. One of the great Christmas hymns that we sing, Heart the Herald, Angel Sing. I think we sang it two weeks ago, not today. Great little line, couplet in there, telling us that Jesus was born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. You hear that line all the time, don't you? Never noticed it, maybe. Hear Hark the Herald Angels Sing in Target, walking down the street, maybe at work, on the radio, Pandora, wherever you might hear this song. Did you know that song was telling you that Jesus offers you life? Life abundant. Life to the full. Life that comes to us through God the Son, the very source of life Himself who was born in order that He might die. Taken upon Himself our deadness, our sin, our lifelessness, taking it upon Himself, giving up His life in order to give us life. And do you understand, dear friends, this is not a call for you and me simply to get more religious. 
It's not simply a call here to say, okay, life will then go work a little harder, do a few more things for God, go to church more, read your Bible. Look, some of those things might be good. Some of those things can be spiritually life-giving. But understand that Jesus didn't make bad, come to make bad people good. Jesus didn't come to make non-religious people more religious. Jesus came to make dead people live. And sometimes the most lifeless people of all can be religious people who are busy working and working and doing and doing with no sense of joy, no humility, no awe and wonder, no sense of surprise, no hearts that are melted by the compassion of Jesus, no affection for people around them. Religious people sometimes can be the worst, isn't it the truth? And this is what Jesus says to one church in the Middle East in Revelation 3 when he writes a letter to them and says to the church in Sardis, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but in fact you are dead. It's possible, friends. Don't mistake this invitation and promise of life for a call to religion or more religious activity. It's an invitation to something far more profound, far deeper, far more attractive to you. And what we get then is life, not in the abstract, but here's where this birth and being born metaphor becomes so rich. Because the truest kind of life that we know is life in relationship, isn't it? God doesn't just give us abstract life and power for this sort of existence apart from all things and all people individually. He brings us into a family with a heavenly Father. Because isn't it true that the times when we feel most alive so often are the times when we're in community? The times even in temporal, short-term, limited ways, but you can taste it, can't you? The times when we feel most like a radiant, glorious, brimming, electric human being is when we're doing things with people and not just alone. When we're sharing things with people and not just doing them ourselves. When we're loving with people, when we're being loved by people, which is why it aches and hurts so bad when we don't have it. And it feels like death. But God gives us not birth in the abstract. He gives us a family. He says he makes us and gives us rights of being children of God. Verse 12 and 13. Children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You have a heavenly father. You have rights to a heavenly father, which means you have rights to interrupt him at any time. You have rights to a heavenly father, which means you have a right to an inheritance from him. Everything he owns is yours. Coming to understand this just in the smallest sort of way with my little child here. Elena, who's not here. Everyone look to the front row. She's not here right now who has a daddy, limited and imperfect, but my dear daughter, who absolutely has the right to interrupt me at any time, and she does. This right of intimacy and access to her daddy. 
Whether if it's three in the morning or if it's in the middle of an important phone call. I could be talking to the President of the United States and Elena don't care. She's going to come and start pulling on my arm and tell me to get off the phone. Do you know you have a Heavenly Father that gives you attention and right of interruption like that? Because He loves to hear your voice. He loves to have you near. And He gives you an inheritance. My goodness, everything I have is Elena's. And she exercises that right. Whether if it's my phone, throwing it on the ground. Yesterday, something was all jacked up with my phone. The whole thing turned upside down. And it took me hours to figure out how to get it right. Because my phone is Elena's phone. My chair is Elena's chair. My bed is Elena's bed. Everything that I have is hers. And dear friends, do you know that if you're with Jesus, you have a heavenly Father who says, everything that I have belongs to you. Everything. My son belongs to you. My unique son, Jesus. And all the favor and the blessings of life and the honor and the righteousness and the love and the world and all the gifts that I have are yours. Do you quietly have a suspicion in your heart that God is a miser who isn't giving you that one little thing that you've been wanting? Closing your eyes, deadening your heart to all the other rich, countless things that God, your Father, invites you to enjoy. In other words, dear friends, have you been believing the lie of the serpent who in the garden took Adam and Eve and told them, Your God hasn't given you anything and put a spotlight on the one thing, the one thing that God said and love for you. Let's set this one aside. Don't take from this tree, but everything else is yours. Are you believing the lie of the serpent? Blinding yourself to the generosity of your heavenly Father who gives you everything that's His, focusing in maybe on that one thing that you don't got. Or don't yet, God. He brings you into relationship with the Father, but also into a family. He brings you into fellowship, friendship with other brothers and sisters. People that you can weep with. People that you can rejoice with. People that you can turn to. Walk with in life. Enjoy these blessings together. This is life. This is life together that Jesus has given you. We're spiritually dead, number one, apart from Jesus. But number two, Jesus has come. He gives us life. Let me close with this. Thirdly, how do we get it? How do we get it? How do we get this life? All of this comes into our life, the life of God into our life, if we simply... Believe in his name. Check out how John puts this. He makes sure that we understand how it is that we don't get new life. Verses 12 and 13. Children of God who are born, what? Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Listen, friends, you don't get new birth, you don't get new life through bloodlines, through your family background. 
In other words, you don't get new life by being of a certain race. You don't get new life by coming from a family of certain privileges. You don't get new life by being from a certain kind of family, whether a religious family or a good family or a traditional values family. You don't get life that way. A lot of professing Christians, friends, secretly believe that I'm kind of in with God because I made good choices and I came from a good, stable family and we've kind of managed to stay out of trouble. John says, no, that's not the case. And if you flip it around, that means this. You come from a broken family? That's all right. You come from a messy family? Jesus can still give you life. You come from a messy family. My goodness, it looked like, I mean, Jesus comes from a messy family. (laughs) When his mama was pregnant with him, looked like she might have been cheating on dad. Joseph didn't know what to do. Was about to quietly break up the relationship because everything looked fishy. Mary convinced him that it wasn't so. Something unbelievable had happened. Eventually, Joseph himself is convinced. Things quiet down. They have the baby. But what do you think the people in the village still kept believing? What do you think those quiet whispers were all of Jesus' life? You come from a broken family, a messy family, that's all right. Jesus can give you life. You don't get new birth through human effort or human decisions either. John says, not the will of the flesh nor the will of man. You don't get life by being good or trying really hard to clean up your life or by promising God, I'm really going to do better this time. I'm really going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to change. You don't get life by making all the right decisions. Dear friends, have you made a lot of bad choices in the past? That's all right. Jesus still can give you new life. Are you feeling weak? Like you don't got a whole lot of willpower left? You know what? You're in a good place. Just the very thing that you thought might have disqualified you, do you know? If you feel weak today, you might be moments away from receiving new life. If you would simply Simply receive it. Receive it. John says you get new life because, no, not because of human decision or human willpower or human choices, human effort, not because you come from the right family, the right bloodline. You get new life because God gives it to you. Because God raises you from the dead. Because God gives you the very thing that you need. And all you need to do is receive it. To say to Jesus, I can't give myself spiritual life. I am powerless to make myself alive. I am dead. Yep, dead. That comes pretty close to describing me. All you need to do is receive. As it says in verse 12, to whom did God give the right to become his children? 
to all who receive him, who believe in his name, who receive him, welcome him, trust him, give their loyalty to him, love him, who cry out to Jesus, give me life, because I need life. Because maybe for the first time you're starting to come to terms honestly with the deadness that is within you. And you cry out in utter helplessness, Jesus, I need your life. And at first, it might feel like a death. But, just like a baby being born, it just might be your very first cry of new life. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you in all our helplessness, all our powerlessness. We, we have a high opinion of ourselves, believing that we can save ourselves, fix ourselves, change ourselves, and we can't, which is why this truth-telling passage is just so helpful, because it releases us from the deception that we can do it ourselves. But what we see now is your free gift of life, and your invitation to receive you, that we might receive life. We pray, God, that those who have ready hearts, that they would do so. Open their hearts to you. And every one of us, every one of us needing you deeply, that you would give life to whatever deadness that remains in us, whether in part or in whole. And we thank you in advance for your life-giving power, your life-giving Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.